Hi there, my name is Adam Waters and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. three of us, but uh, you've got your star pupils here. Yeah, you've got the best, there's four. you got the pros from Dover. Oh, me. Yes, I did say four. As long as you're prepared for all day. A preacher so, isn't John, worth... John is here. He's coming. He's at the door. Reading. Okay. Alright. I got to start. You're on the air. I'm on the air. I know. I see the little red button over there. So I understand that, I don't know who was here for last week when it was done you know, with the uh, recorded message, but I guess the sound wasn't good, there was too much information, and it didn't go over so well. Was anybody here last week from this? I think this, you weren't, were you? I watched it online, though. How did it sound? Yeah, it was, it was um, a little distracting to get used to it, and I could still understand. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, we'll try and make sure that we get that better. We have our friend Mike here who is uh, picking us up, so hopefully the sound will be better. So today we're going to talk about the church. And, you know, it's, it's, it's called ecclesiology. It's made out of two words, ek, which is Greek for out, and kaleo, which is Greek for calling. So it's called out. We're the called out ones. So what do we get called out from? Any ideas? The world, yeah. We're called out. The God just said, I want you. And uh, he's called us out. So I want to take a look at the nature of the church. And there's, uh, the church can be divided or looked at in three different ways. One is the church universal. And um, it's the called out ones. You know what? Uh, yeah. Maybe have someone just close that door, can you? Uh, it's the church universal, and it's the called out ones who are united under our head, Jesus Christ, glorifying him, edifying each other, that's one another, reconciling others to Christ, uh, and willingly suffering with him until he calls us home. Uh, this includes, the universal church includes members of all time, from all places, both alive here on earth and awaiting in heaven. So the church universal is about everybody, everybody, everybody that's a follower of Christ. Then there's the local church. The local church uh, consists of an autonomous gathering of believers uh, under the authority of their recognized leaders. Usually they're called elders. Uh, and they gather for worship, for edification, for fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And we actually find all those things in the book of Acts. And it's where it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's Acts 2.42. It's one of the, the key areas where you want to know what the church should look like. Those are some of the components that, that you, you know a local church will have. Not the universal church, because it might look slightly different in different places. But in the local church, it should have uh, comp those components. And then there's a sense that each one of us is a, a member of the church. So individually, you and I, we're ambassadors of God's reconciliation. We go out into the communities to practice good works and witness to an unbelieving world uh, of simple faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. So there's three ways that you can look at the church. The universal church, which is the church for all time, all places, everywhere. Every believer that's currently alive and the believers that are in heaven. So it's all of us. The local church, which is just like grace. 
It's a, it's a manifestation of the gathering of believers, and we come together to uh, underneath the leadership or the, the uh, <coughs> shepherding of a group of elders, and we're here, we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, which in that case happens to be the teaching that we're receiving now, or from the pulpit, or from our small groups. Uh, fellowship, we get together with one another. The breaking of bread, which has to do with communion, and also with uh, uh, hospitality, and to pray, to pray. Or individually, we're each members of the church, and we're here to bring God's reconciliation <coughs> to the world. Uh, we go out into our communities, we serve them, and we tell them about Jesus. So, then, <coughs> the, the universal church, it's uh, a deeper look at its, uh, uh, its nature. The church was born on the first Pentecost, following the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the church didn't exist. Uh, you know, we didn't hear anything about the church. In fact, you don't see anything about it in the Old Testament until all of a sudden Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell are not going to be able to stand against it. You know, so all of a sudden we hear this thing about the, what the, that's called the church. Um, Acts 2, 1 through 4 says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, that's all the apostles, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came and from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. In tongues there is a word glacia, which, which actually means human tongues. There were human, different human languages that they all started speaking. Uh, Acts 11 says, and I began to speak, Paul, that's Peter recounting his, his time on the, at first Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came on them just as uh, he had come on us at the beginning. So this is where Peter was actually talking to Cornelius. And he refers that the same thing happened to Cornelius as happened at the beginning. The beginning of what? It was the beginning of the church. The Pentecost, that first Pentecost following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was the beginning of the church. And it consists of all those who are called out, all those who are called out of the world to be part of God's family through the unifying work of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When, when a person comes to faith, they are immediately flooded with the Holy Spirit. They're immediately given gifts. They're immediately in the process of transformation. They've been immediately redeemed. And, and this is a unifying work where we all have that same experience and God begins to connect us, put our pu little puzzle piece together with other puzzle pieces to where we form a local church or we form the church in an area or we form the church over the whole world. So it's a unifying thing. Uh, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's what Paul told the, the Ephesian church. So we are given the unity of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we also, the church, is having Christ as its head since the day of Pentecost. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. So our head, the leader, even though we have elders leading, the head is still Jesus Christ. He is still working through people who are leaders at all different levels in the church. You know, it could be a leader in the nursery. It could be a, a leader here speaking to you. It could be a leader from the front of the church. It could be, you know, a leader of the elders. It could be a leader of a servant. But God's headship is working through those people. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. is organizing all of them. So he is the head of the church. Um, the church is united in Christ. We believe that the universal church is united in Christ. Uh, so it says, so in Christ, we who are many form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. So the word of God, the Holy Spirit gives us the picture of the human body. It's got fingers and toes and, you know, noses and arms, uh, a heart and eyes and ears. And, and we are like that. We're all different portions, different uh, components. And all together we form the body of Jesus Christ here on earth. 
It's, it's, it's like this miracle thing that we do. We belong to one another. You know, if I have a finger that uh, decides not to do any work, it, it impacts the rest of my body. So we all are united as one body. We're united in Christ. Uh, we also believe that the universal church fulfills their call to glorify and worship God. And um, Paul wrote to the Romans, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the unique things about the, um, the church since it's been formed is our worship. We sing. We sing. We sing about our church. We sing about our, our Savior. Um, we sing about our faith. It, it's just been part of who we are. We look through the, through the Bible, and even the Jews had a book that was called Songs. There's something about music and, and our worship that's just who we are, and we're united in that. We might have different styles, what we like, but we do love singing. It's one of the unique things of the Christian church. We sing together. We worship together. Um, we also believe that the universal church uh, edifies fellow believers. That, that word means to build up. It's almost like, you know, an edifice is a building. It's like we are given the privilege to help one another grow, to help one another build up as a follower of Christ so that we become more of who he is. Um, the word says, uh, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Think about that. We're going to grow up into every aspect of who Jesus Christ is. Not like a little portion of him, but ultimately his whole character is going to be reflected through us. We'll still be uniquely us for all eternity, but we'll be everything that Jesus is. Every aspect of our character is going to be a reflection of his beautiful and perfect character. I mean, I can't wait to be like that. And it seems like it's so far off. Sometimes it seems like I haven't even started yet. But it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that we believe the church is actually beginning to do when we meet together. That's why it's so important to meet together. Because we're actually helping each other grow. We can't do this by ourselves. We have to do it together. So, uh, the universal church in its nature, we believe the universal church reconciles mankind to God with the news of the gospel. So all this is from God, says uh, the, the letter to the Corinthians, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That's really amazing. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's and Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making an appeal through us, imploring you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And see how many times it says reconciled in there. It's just over and over and over again. Uh, he said to them, another passage, go into the world and preach the good news of cre to, to all creation in Mark. We also believe, and this is something that you seldom hear, but a lot of church, the church around the world experiences this. We believe the universal church is actually uh, shares in the sufferings of Christ. We believe that the body of Christ still suffers. But it's us. Some of us suffer through persecution. Some of us suffer through uh, maybe <coughs> satanic attacks, demonic attacks. Some of us suffer, uh, you know, the consequences of sin with our physical bodies, but we suffer in a new way. We suffer in identification with Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ not only took our sins to the cross, it says he took our, it says he took our griefs and our sorrows to the cross. So he took with him not only the sin, but the consequences of sin from the cross. That's why, you know, there's no, there's no illness in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no brokenness in heaven. And we actually bring that here to the world, to the earth. 
when either we go through very difficult times in a great in an amazing way with joy and peace maybe or or maybe God just decides to heal us but we bring that amazing <laughs> wholeness uh, that amazing healing uh, that amazing component of of God's kingdom to people today right now as we live and we suffer with Christ. Uh, Paul said that. He says, I'm still completing the sufferings of Jesus. And then we also believe that the church universal uh, is that for all generations until he he calls it home. So according to the the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of our Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of call of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first. Then after that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. First Thessalonians. So the, the church is to continue growing and continue bringing the good news to new generations of people until finally we're just called home. Not just us individually when our spirit separates from our body and, and you know, our, we, our physical bodies die. But one day when God just, he just calls this entire church to be with him, the dead in Christ will rise. And, and then all the people that are alive are going to be caught up to heaven. And we're going to be transformed, it says, in the twinkling of an eye. You know, you ever see somebody's eye twinkle? You just catch that little spark, you know? Just like that, all of a sudden glorified, transformed. That which is broken and mortal is going to become immortal, totally complete, and incorruptible, it says. So, what a good day. What a good day to look forward to. Any questions yet about any of that stuff? Make any sense? Any confuse you? Okay. Um, Let me talk a little bit more about the nature of the church. What God does is he gives us three metaphors of the church, and I think they each show us something different. So he has the metaphor of the flock, like a flock of sheep, the metaphor of the bride, the metaphor of the body of Christ, the metaphor of a building, and the metaphor of the temple of the Holy Spirit. So let's kind of take these apart and take a look at why you know, what, what is each of these metaphors? How are they different that gives us a little bit different picture of what's going on when we think about the church? So, the flock. The nature of the church can also be derived from the names given to it. We talked about that. The flock of God. So here's the verse. Keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So the apostle uh, is... is in the book of Acts, is talking about the shepherds, the elders, that they're to watch over the church like it's a flock of sheep. It says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Key word there, you hear that? He bought. He bought with his own blood. He bought the flock with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will be coming among you and will not spare the flock. So what do you think God's saying? when he calls the church the flock. What, what's, what's unique about sheep and a shepherd that God's trying to get the picture to us about the church? Any ideas? Sheep, <coughs> sheep listen to a very distinct voice in regards to the shepherd. Yeah, they listen to one person. Yeah. It's very close to that. Uh, the sheep, it shows a a singular unity, a singular ownership, picturing our singular belonging to God. We don't belong to anybody else. We belong to one shepherd. He owns us. He owns us. He's bought us. Okay? So there's that sense that I have one shepherd, one shepherd alone. I got one person who protects me, one person who provides for me, one person to look to. It's my shepherd. And let's take a look at another one. The bride of Christ. Um, it says in Corinthians, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, 
I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. So Christ is our husband. So the church is his bride. Then a voice came down from the throne saying, Praise our God, all of you, his servants who fear him, both small and great. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made himself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. That's in the book of Revelation. So what's God, what's God saying when he's talking about the church being married to Jesus? So you have the, the flock where it's singular belonging. The sheep belong to the shepherd. What's, a, what's a unique about a marriage? What's that picture? become one. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really pretty, that's great. We belong to each other. Okay? There's a mutual belonging. This highlights the mutual belonging that we have to God, the Son, and Him to us. In the, in the Song of Solomon, it says that uh, my beloved is mine and I am His. You know, we belong to one another. So the next one is the body of Christ. And it says, so in Christ, we were many are one body and each member belongs to all the others. So I think the answer is in that one. But what is unique about the body of Christ that God is trying to draw a picture using the body? So the first picture is we belong to God. And, and then the second picture is the marriage where I belong to him, and he belongs to me, <clears throat> because we're joined, we're one. But now it's the body. What, what's, the, what's unique about the body? What's unique about us? We're the body of Christ. <clears throat> my finger belongs to me, and I belong to my finger. <laughs> The, the uniqueness of the body of Christ is that each member belongs to one another. I belong to you, God. You belong to me. You know? Or you belong to me. I belong to you. We're each members one of another. So the unique picture is that we not only belong to Christ and he belongs to us, but you and I, the members of the church, we belong to each other. <clears throat> So you see this picture is beginning to unfold of the total beauty, beauty of the church. So let's look at the other one. God says we're like a building, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder. I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful of how he builds on it, for the man can lay only one foundation, uh, and there's no other foundation that can be laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, you see how the starts with really wealthy things and, and beautiful things to kind of very ordinary and temporal things. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire and fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> here it says that the church is like a building. So what's unique about a building? <clears throat> provides refuge. It provides refuge. Okay, when it's completed, it it's provides refuge. But what is the building made of? It says here there's only one foundation, and that foundation is Jesus, okay? But now, how do you build a building? What do you use? Tools. What's that? I said tools. Yeah, you use tools. Yeah, there's bricks, there's, there's things. It's a process. Yeah, it's brick by brick. You know, it is, we are built through a process. It takes time. So the church is growing, is a growing work in progress 
whose construction we actively participate in. So not only is God, this is great, not only is God saying, hey, you're one of my bricks now, you know, when we come to faith, but it's like we get a chance to help put that brick in the right place. We get a chance to help build the church together, you know, under the direction of our head, who is Jesus Christ. But it's a process. It's constantly happening, constantly growing. It's growing across generations. It's growing across time. And, and you know, it's <clears throat> part of the church is in heaven now. Part of that building is in heaven. So it's, it's this beautiful, growing thing. That's, it doesn't happen like, boom, like that. <coughs> okay? We're all in process. I had a friend that you always just say that, you know, her concrete was still wet. <laughs> so... <clears throat> So let's look at one more thing, the temple. In him, the whole building, there it is, the building again, is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple. The building that's being built is a temple. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So what's unique about the temple? About us becoming a temple? What's, what is the contrast between the church as God's temple and the temple that was built in Jerusalem? We, it's a living temple now. It's not inanimate. What else can this temple do that this temple can't do? Move freely to others. Yeah, our temple is mobile. Wherever we go, we bring the temple. We bring worship. We bring the presence of God wherever we go. It wasn't like that then. It was one place. It was inanimate. People had to come to it. Now the temple can go to other people. You know, we, we, we bring the temple to work. We bring the temple to help our next door neighbor. We bring the temple when we go on vacation. We bring the temple when we become a missionary. We're, we're mobile. I mean, it's really amazing, I think. So the temple revealing the dwelling place of God and the place of his true worship is not one building in one location, but wherever the church is located worldwide. <clears throat> so what do you think about that? <laughs> it's really cool. Uh, in there, by the way, it also calls us a field, but it doesn't go on to just, you know to elaborate on on the field. But you could kind of get the sense of, you know, I mean, we heard the the story of uh, of the the sower and the seed, you know, and and the the ground and stuff like that. Well, when God plants His seed in us. You know, as a field, it takes time. It takes time to grow. It goes through stages. It just doesn't all of a sudden go boing, you know? I remember a friend of mine once said, if God wants to make a squash, it takes eight weeks. If he wants to make an oak tree, it takes 80 years. <laughs> He's making oak trees. It takes time. Yeah, this is great. It's just a great picture of, you know, going from the flock to the temple. It's, it becomes full circle. You start out by following God learning from him, gathering that maturation that you need to become the bride, to become a body, and then eventually bring it back around where you're discipling other people. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah. It's never never any process, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the beautiful things about God is that he does have process. I think it's a beautiful uh, thing to see things, you know, grow, a baby grow to a, an adult, to see flowers blossom, you know, to see, I mean, things in process. Now he's uniquely able to create with the process already done. You know, like for instance, when he fed the 5,000 or the 4,000, he fed them, made them bread. Well, bread is made out of grain, grain's got to grow, it's got to be harvested, it has to be ground, it has to be mixed with oil, has to, you know, so he was able to do it all in process. The process was complete. He was able to create that way. 
in, in part, I, I think when we look at, for instance, you know, scientists will say, well, that's 30 million light years away, you know, so the universe has got to be at least 30 million years old or whatever it is. And I get that, you know, it seems that way, but God is also able to create with that process already complete. So yeah, it's 30 million light years away, but on the day he said, let it be light, it was present, fully in process. He made it so that the process was already complete. So anyway, just some thoughts. So uh, as we look through the flock, we see all these different things that uh, it's the, the flock of God is the picture of our singular belonging. The bride of Christ means that we belong to him and he belongs to us. The body of Christ shows that we belong to one another. The building says that we're a, pro, a work in progress and that construction is actively something that we participate in in the temple. It's really cool because Peter actually says that we are, temp, we are ourselves a temple and that we are bricks. This little temple of ourselves is, is put in place to create a bigger temple. So it's almost like every brick is a temple. And together we make this enormous Amazing temple. That's where God dwells. He dwells in us. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm saying it. I don't know if I understand it, you know, but I'm kind of like, when I go to heaven, I want to think about this and I want to know about it a little bit better, like a lot better, because uh, I think it's just marvelous. marvelous. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the confusion that might happen between the church and Israel. Um, when Jesus talked about the church, it was something that was yet future, and it wasn't part of Israel uh, during Jesus' earthly ministry. And he said, as a matter of fact, in the gospel, he says, and I tell you the truth, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. So the church was something yet future when Jesus was walking around. So he came, in fact, it's interesting, because at one point he says, I have come to, uh, to, to save the lost. And then he says, the lost, um, uh, how does he say it? The lost sheep of Israel. Is that what it is, Scott? So he, he came specifically for Israel. He came there to fulfill all the promises, to fulfill all the laws. And he was going to be the one that did it perfectly because when he showed that and revealed that to us, in our eyes, not in God's eyes, but in our eyes, it qualified him to be our sacrifice, our substitution, because he was perfect. He was God's lamb, okay? But that was, he was doing that to fulfill all the promises um, to, to Israel. He was there for Israel. In fact, when the Greeks came, you know, right at the end of his ministry, and, and I forget, it was Philip, I think, brought the, these Greek guys to him and said, hey, they want to talk to us. Greek, Greek guys want to talk to us. No, because I don't have time for that right now, basically. You know, I'm finishing my father's plan, and it's about Israel. But then, um, also, the, the, the also here is that the church was an unrevealed mystery to the prophets. So that you can go through the Old Testament, you can kind of see a little bit of 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 a word that that might be the church. But basically, it was a mystery. And the word for mystery means, here, means that something's been covered, that's been covered, has just been, had the cover taken off of it. Okay? So, this is kind of what happened. At one time, all the Gentiles, without hope, without the prophets, without uh, God, okay, they had no hope. The Jews had all the prophets, had the commandments, but they rejected God. And now both Gentile and Jews were both under condemnation. All right? God could have judged everybody right then and there. Everybody is going to a place you don't want to go. But instead what he did is that he put one hand here and he put one hand here and he died for all of them. Jew and Gentile, and grace, grace happened. I live my perfect life so that if you believe in me, I'll account my perfect life to you. 
even though you're nothing like that. My Father will look at you and say, perfect, perfect, blameless, holy, because he's going to see me and you and you and me. So when we all deserve condemnation, we got grace. And grace was the beginning of this amazing thing called the church. We don't know how long it's going to last. All we know is that while we're here, you and I are the benefactors of grace and the distributors of grace. We give grace. We tell others about grace so that they can have what we have and know the Christ that we know and the love of the Father that we know. Um, so it was a mystery. Uh, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh. I do my share on behalf of his body, that's Christ's body, which is the church, and filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of God's word, of the word of God. That is the mystery, the uncovered, revealed mystery of the church, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been made manifest to the saints. God had a plan. He knew that Israel wasn't going to cut it. And he knew the Gentiles never did cut it. And he had a plan. And that plan was to save all of us. Not just Israel, but all of us. And now both Jew and Gentile get to come to the Father through Jesus, the Messiah, who's our Messiah too. It's... it's uh, so there's, there are people out there, and, and there's good biblical reason for them, who uh, believe in what, uh, what's called replacement theology. And so what they say is that actually uh, Christ, uh, I'm sorry, the church has replaced Israel as God's chosen people. Okay. Um, for... for um, For us to say that would have to mean, in my eye, my heart, that God changed his mind. And the promises that he gave to Israel, he's going to break. And if God changes his mind and he breaks his promises, we're all in trouble. <coughs> because he could change his mind at any time. But if he's going to give a promise and stay with his promise then we could be sure that he's always going to be a person of his word. And if he promises us eternal life through his son, he will give us eternal life through his son. So here's some other reasons <clears throat> that uh, the church is different than Israel. God's power worked uniquely through the church leaders and not Israel. God poured out his power on the apostles. He didn't pour it out on the Pharisees and Sadducees and the high priests. It was on the apostles, the new, the new disciples of his new church. Uh, only the church was gifted. Only the people who came to Christ as their Savior were given spiritual gifts. He just didn't willy-nilly just throw out these gifts and whoever caught it got one. No. He gave spiritual gifts. He gave manifestation of his Holy Spirit to only those who were just disciples. He didn't give it to Israel. Okay, Israel's the spirit would come on somebody in Israel, you know, and they would do powerful things or they would speak for God. But for the Christian, for the disciple, the Holy Spirit comes into the person, not on top of them or upon them. He abides in us. Uh, the church also uh, does not replace Israel, nor does the church fulfill Israel's specific prophecies as the Davidic or Palestinian covenants. Israel was promised a king. We weren't promised a king. We were promised a savior. He's going to be king of kings. Uh, we're not promised the land. Israel was promised a Palestinian land. Okay? We're promised heaven. In fact, as you see, and you read through scripture, the followers of Christ, the church, have promised nothing on the earth. All of our promises are waiting for us in heaven. That's different. Israel has got promises here on this world. All right, so they're different. I believe they're different. Um, there is a, a Bible verse that uh, 
that says um, that the church is the, the new Israel. And so a lot of people hang on that. But the preponderance of other evidence is that that's not meaning that the church has replaced Israel. It, it just appears to be that the church is chosen people. We're chosen as well. We're not replacing Israel, but we're chosen as well. We're elect as well. All right, so um, any questions about any of that stuff? Yes. Oh. Yes, Quinn. I'm not sure how to phrase this, but the term New Jerusalem popped into my yes. mind as you were speaking. Yeah. So can you speak to what that really means and really what you just said? Okay, yeah. So there is a New Jerusalem that's going to come down out of heaven. Evidently, it is exists right now. It's dimensional. We know that there's human beings up there. We know that the body of Christ is up there. We know that Elijah is up there physically. We know that Enoch is up there physically. We suspect that people who die get a temporary physical body to, to operate around in a physical heaven. But there is a day where the, the Jerusalem that is there today is going to be replaced by this New Jerusalem, which is essentially a new word for heaven. It's another word for, I think, heaven. It's this 1,500 cubic mile block, you know, where everybody lives inside of it. Like right now, we live on the outside of the globe. Everybody then will live inside this huge cube that's going to come down. It almost sounds like the Borg out of Star Trek, but it's not. Um, Yeah, we're gonna, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that helped you a little bit, but I don't know where you wanted me to go with that. Um, but that New Jerusalem is going to have a king, and the king is. It apparently appears that David is going to be resurrected. There's going to be a resurrection. We'll talk about this later on uh, April twenty fourth, fourth, which is the Sunday after Easter. We're going to talk about uh, end times, and actually another class is going to join us because they're going to take a whole long study into Daniel and Revelation. And uh, I'm just going to kind of lay out a temporary timeline so that you can kind of get the gist of where things are going. But, um, yeah, David is going to be on the throne, and Jesus is going to be on the throne. I'm not going to quite, at least that's what it looks like to me. Uh, Jesus is going to be the king of kings, yet uh, David is going to be resurrected. There's a resurrection of the Old Testament saints, there's a resurrection of the church. There is a resurrection of those who are going to be resurrected to judgment and hell, condemnation. So there are different resurrections as you look through the scriptures. Um, there are some people, by the way, who are like amillennialists, who feel all those resurrections happen at one time, you know. And uh, that's, that's a possibility. I mean, you know, when we get to heaven and we find out what really happened, <laughs> we'll know, we'll know which one of us was more accurate than the other? What's the whole rationale behind um, the thought that we, as a country, we always need to support Israel? Uh, because if we don't support Israel, then we uh, will have, you know, I don't know, bad things that will come our way as a country. Yeah, so uh, Abraham was given a covenant. In, his, in that covenant was a clause that was, whoever blesses you, I will bless, says God. Whoever curses you, I will curse. So essentially people will say, some people say, oh, we really need to be a blessing to Israel so that we can be blessed. And I don't know if that's a good reason to do it because I think you should bless Israel because we should bless people as followers of Christ. We should be people who are serving other people. We should be people talking about Jesus Christ to other people. You know, it should just be anybody. But that was a, a covenant that was given to Abraham to protect him and his lineage, his generations. And people have carried it all the way through to today. And so they just say, well, if we bless Israel, God's going to somehow bless us. But if we curse Israel, you know, God's going to curse us. It doesn't say if you're just nothing, if you're an observer of Israel. You know, it's, it has more specifically to do with action that's taken. Does that make 
answer your question a little bit. Yeah, I just yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of things that get caught up when there's war in Israel and who they're coming to their aid or not coming to their aid and, and how that's portrayed and regarding the current times now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how we should a lot of people feel like we should always be backing Israel uh, because if you don't back them, kind of to your point, their uh, suffering or bad things may come our way because we understand God's people. So I was just reading uh, Zechariah, and there's a lot of, of uh, end time prophecy in there. And one of the prophecies in there is that those who, who carry Jerusalem and I, I'm assuming that sounds like it's a positive thing to help them, that Jerusalem is going to be a stone that's going to actually make it very hard to carry. That it's almost going to, like, break them. That they're going to, they're going to be such a burden for the people who help them that it's going to almost harm them. Um, I, you know, I'm not quite sure what that means, but I think if we look at, uh, in the spiritual realm, um, Satan be involved in end times with the Antichrist and all those things. That anybody who helps uh, Jerusalem is going to suffer for it. You know, so um, <laughs> so what's the blessing in that? You know, I don't know. <laughs> well, there is going to be a blessing, I'm sure, when the King of Kings comes and he um, sets everything right. You know, there will be. A, I'm sure there'll be some kind of benefit for the people that help Jerusalem. I want to show you something. It's a, a song. It's called uh, How Beautiful, and it's about the body of Christ. But the unique thing about this is that it starts off talking about Jesus and ends up talking about the church. And it's an old song, but I, I'd like you to see it. Thank you. 
Your feet are his feet. Your hands are his hands. Your heart is his heart. Your mind is his mind. Wouldn't it be great if we lived that way? 